This Knowledge at Wharton podcast was produced in conjunction with EY's Global Private Equity Center. For more information, please visit ey.com slash private equity. Welcome once more to Michael Rogers and Steve Samet to Knowledge at Wharton as they offer their views on private equity in Africa today and also on other emerging markets. Uh, Michael is EY's Global Deputy Private Equity Leader and Steve is a senior fellow and lecturer here at Wharton. He follows private equity closely, and he's also active in the market. Uh, thanks for being with us today. And there's so much going on in Africa business, we thought we'd concentrate on that. Uh, and Steve, you literally are just off a plane from Africa. You're still jet lagged. Uh, and uh, I want to ask you for your impressions, since it's it's also new. And I just, I just want to give one tiny bit of context before we start, which is that since 2000, the size of the sub-Saharan economy has more than quadrupled. So as background, Steve, what's happening? You just got off the plane. Well, uh, if you look at what's happened in Africa uh, over the last 15 years, that quadrupling is visually apparent in most of the uh, African cities that I've been to. Um, I arrived uh, last night from Nairobi. Uh, uh, that was my uh, fourth trip since May there. Um, I run an, uh, a program in healthcare uh, management at one of the universities, uh, Strathmore University, and I'm very tied in with the local uh, private equity community which has largely been using Nairobi as a hub. So I get reports on what's going on virtually everywhere else in Africa. It's difficult to explain to someone who's not been to Africa just what's going on. Many of us grow up with very romantic visions of what Africa is all about. Uh, the African sunset has become a cliche almost in in imagery and, and parlance. Uh, but I think what's really happening there is that most of those societies now uh, have, for the most part, set aside conflicts and are in the na- their nation-building phase. Uh, they've They've seen the ravages of uh, uh, poor adherence to constitutions. They've revised their constitutions. They're trying to have much more uh, democratic processes and elections. Uh, The banks have become much more disciplined and uh, internationalized. Uh, In fact, the American and European and Chinese banks have become active, so there's a very positive flow of capital. But none of that... Uh, that's great for the economics textbooks. What what that doesn't capture is the level of excitement and positive attitude that you find among most Africans, particularly the younger Africans, and there are a lot of younger Africans. We're looking at uh, many of these countries, half the populations are under 18 years of age, uh, and uh, uh, they are... uh, they are interconnected. Uh, cell phone penetration is huge. Uh, smartphones are now penetrating the market. Uh, this, these, this is a generation or young generations that know what's going on in the rest of the world and they want to participate. Um, and as a consequence, uh, there's a high premium on uh, access to education. Uh, parents value education in tremendous ways, make enormous sacrifices to send their, their kids to school. 
uh, and uh, as a consequence, uh, all the energy that you can imagine in a vibrant economy is there. And uh, while I was there uh, on this trip, uh, President Obama uh, made a historic trip, and uh, given his father's uh, Kenyan ancestry, uh, you can only begin to imagine the level of excitement. They even coined a term for it, Obamania. Uh, and uh, uh, basically, and it wasn't just Kenya, he went to Ethiopia as well, and they basically put on a show uh, as to what the future holds. And it's, and it's promising. And all of these things add up to extraordinary opportunity for private, the private equity sector, um, and, as well as uh, an emerging venture capital sector. Uh, thanks. I, uh, uh, Mike, I wanted to ask you, uh, there's a, a terrific new survey out, uh, and this is uh, it, it, by EY. It's called the Africa Attractiveness Survey. And um, it notes that the continent is currently the world's fourth most attractive investment destination. Uh, back in 2014, it was actually the second most attractive. And one of the reasons that it slipped, I think, is because of oil prices. If, if you had to pick one thing, there's, I'm sure, other things also. Uh, uh, but I think what's interesting, based on what Steve is saying, only five years ago, Africa was near the bottom of the list. It was number eight. Uh, so some of the reasons, as I mentioned, for the step down are oil prices, uh, some slowing growth in South Africa, and also the slowdown in China. So there's you know some commodity business there that, that has slipped. Uh, but uh, I, I think the main point is that only five years ago, Africa was near the bottom of the list, and they they're they're bouncing towards the top now. So could you discuss that and and what that means for private equity in Africa? Yeah, thank thank you very much, Steve. Uh, happy to join you again today. Uh, I think, uh, you know, Steve, having just gotten off the plane, as you mentioned, uh, gives a real sense of what's going on there locally. But just taking a step back and looking at the analysis, this was our fifth uh, active Africa attractiveness survey that we put together. And, we, and, and you know, there's, there's obviously these long-term trends, uh, you know, towards, uh, you know, the consumerism of the population, the younger population that Steve mentioned. So we think all those are those tenants are still intact. However, we, you know, Africa did see some stronger headwinds over the last year. Uh, and there's, you know, fewer folks around the world, only 53% that said uh, that Africa was, uh, that the opportunity has improved there versus 60 in, in 2014. So not dramatic change, but it did dip down. Um, and it's really still seen as one of, the, one of the better places to invest. I think you mentioned it's number four on the list, had been as low as eight. But I, I think the issues that you chatted about, I think Steve's already hit some of them, but the historic perception of the political risk, uh, the, you know, some of the instability and corruption, it still remains significant bar barriers for folks uh, looking to make investment in, into Africa. I think you know, the uh, Ebola outbreak was just put the brakes uh, on some investment possibly at some point in time. And, and the lower demand for commodities, I think you, you touched on it. I mean, China is slowing down is really changing the mix on a global basis for the need for uh, all the different commodities. And given some of the countries are resource intensive, uh, that does tend to, uh, to put a drag on the economy. You mentioned oil prices, um, you know, and they look to remain lower for some period of time here, right? So that's going to put a little bit of a cap on the driver of growth in some of the uh, faster-growing economies. But uh, recent FDI numbers as well, uh, you know, show a mixed picture. There's still some countries that are uh, receiving above 
above market, above trend FDI, but others have shown you know some slowdown in that arena, uh, as we've seen around the world in many of the emerging markets. But you know, particularly from a PE in, you know, perspective, Africa is following a pattern we've seen in other markets where the competition at the larger end of the deal spectrum is, is having an impact on multiples. And so I think PE will have to be careful uh, amid the excitement that Steve touched on, you know, not to get into the overpayment mode. And I know that they're, they're looking at that very closely. And, you know, while we see um, a great deal of opportunity overall in PE uh, in Africa, despite, you know, some of the growing pains, obviously, um, we saw, you know, KKR come into Ethiopia. Carlisle's been making uh, a big presence there as well. Uh, and importantly, you know, the growing middle class, I think the PE ecosystem, which I'm sure we'll talk a little more about as well, uh, you know, kind of uh, you know beginning to mature because we're at the very, very front end of a, of, a, of a maturing ecosystem there within PE. As that begins to improve, the capital markets improve, uh, I think that we'll uh, see a very, very attractive environment for private equity over time. I agree with that assessment. Uh, and it is it is very much the case that we've seen some unprecedented uh, capital formation uh, just this just in this current year of 2015, uh, with uh, at least two and quite possibly three funds uh, uh, at the billion dollar mark or greater than billion dollars. And whenever this has happened in other markets, uh, it has foreshadowed. Uh, uh, challenges with uh, with valuation and pricing, uh, so th- there there will be stresses to be sure in private equity. Uh, I want to get back to the the uh, fundraising efforts in Africa in uh, in a little bit, but I have another question because there's another thing from the EY uh, Africa Attractiveness Survey. Uh, which was very interesting. Now, that survey, I, I want to mention, is based on interviews with 500 international decision makers, two-thirds of whom are actually firms with operations in Africa. So here's an interesting data point, another one from that survey. Nearly 70% of respondents expect Africa to improve over the next three years as a place for companies to establish or develop activities. Uh, that's a, that was a quote of the question that was asked. Uh, but what I thought was fascinating was that uh, the opinions of, of those folks were diametrically opposed depending on whether a company has operations in Africa or not. For example, those that do that called Africa the most attractive investment destination in the world uh, and, and between also those that did not called it the world's least attractive destination. Let me be more clear on that. So companies that have operations in Africa of some kind found Africa to be the most attractive destination in the world. And those that did not have operations in there found it to be the least attractive. And therefore, those that gets hidden in that 70% I mentioned of respondents who expect Africa to improve over the next three years. So this seems to me directly related to whether or not you've been on the ground, as, as Steve has, to understand what's actually happening there. Um, Steve, would you like to start with that one? That um, I, I can give maybe more of a sociologic than than statistical perspective on that, and I'd really love to hear what uh, Michael has to say. Uh, the for the, for the most part, 
the media treatment of Africa has has not been kind until very recent years, and even even this past year with the Ebola outbreak, as Michael had mentioned, uh, uh, there's there's plenty to be negative about, and the uh, terrorist activity uh, in Nigeria as well as uh, in Kenya, uh, the uh, ever-present problems in South Sudan. Uh, restlessness in Somalia. These are things that the media seizes upon and it paints a picture of the continent that is not inexact but emphasizes perhaps the the wrong things. Uh, What you don't see or what you don't hear about is uh, the the urbanization, uh, the positive sides of urbanization, uh, you don't hear about the improvements in education uh, and in healthcare, uh, 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 for the most part. Uh, modest, but nevertheless, um, improving infrastructural issues. Uh, the things that make a, uh, a region more accommodating to business uh, just are not emphasized in uh, in the media. Uh, in fact, if you were to go back 15 years and just pick out the covers from The Economist magazine, uh, you can put a nice display showing how Africa was presented as, uh, I'll use the term basket case, 15 years ago, uh, to now where uh, there's, a, at least among people who are looking at it and taking the risk, very positive attitudes. Uh, it becomes very difficult to shake those perceptions, and it, it doesn't take much to uh, derail uh, interest in Africa or a willingness to invest. And the other unfortunate aspect is Africa's a big continent. It's 1.1 billion people or so, um, more than 50 countries uh, on the entire continent. Uh, And what is true in one country is uh, oftentimes far from the truth in another. So we don't um, – we haven't haven't done a good job uh, in the media and we uh, haven't really – we really haven't helped the situation with a significant amount of solid academic research on what's going on in Africa to help change these perceptions. It's interesting, Mike. Uh, just uh, I, I really want to hear your thoughts on that too. But I, I'm I'm starting to hear this a little bit as a theme for emerging markets in general, it, it, which is that you know there's some political unrest in one company, and everyone starts to pull their money out of emerging markets. In other words, risks vary within a country, within an industry, and some companies could be in a very risky country and industry and still have, you know, that company itself might not have risk. So I guess that's part of, you know, investors becoming a little more sophisticated and not just the countries. But Mike, please give us your take on how there's this incredible difference between companies with operations there versus those that don't. Yeah, and Steve, uh, just to touch on your your last comment there first, I think that uh, we have and, and do continue to see, you know, emerging markets get, get bucketed a little bit. Uh, and and as, as Steve pointed out, I mean, you know, these countries many times couldn't be further apart in terms of their political process and, and uh, you know, their perception as, as global economic players. But they do sometimes get lumped into bigger groups. And so you do send, tend to see, 
you know, some trends of flowing in and flowing out, and we definitely saw that uh, a few years ago when uh, everything was about the emerging markets. No one wanted anything to do with the developed world. They uh, were taking capital from, uh, from from developed markets and moving it into emerging markets, and then it seems to have, you know, kind of reversed itself in some ways. And we've, we've kind of labeled it a little bit as a rebalancing uh, and that, you know, many of the folks we talk to these days are just looking for, you know, stable, consistent investment in places that over the long term, you know, will make sense for their portfolio. And so we, we uh, hope to see some of that, you know, in a balanced effort. But you're right, there is a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction uh, to, uh, to global uh, geopolitical issues at times, and so that does get factored in. But to, to answer your question on the, uh, on the side of, of, of those who uh, are there, seem to have a much more positive view than those who are not. And I, I think that, you know, Steve touched on it. What, you know, he hit a number of the economic issues that you could look at and, you know, make business decisions on, but not until you go there and you actually meet the people and you meet the excite, you know, see the excitement uh, in, the, in their own, uh, uh, you know, view of the world and their view of Africa. It's not lost on them that, they have these challenges that they've, you know, suffered over time and that, uh, you know, they are, you know, in a, in a sense trying to, uh, you know, pull themselves, you know, out of those historic challenges. It's not lost on them that, that, that they have uh, that as their history and background. But I think what's amazing to me when I meet the people there and, and talk to the business owners and entrepreneurs on, on, the, on the continent uh, about how much they really see the opportunity and they uh, they see the uh, the chance to, uh, to 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 grow businesses, to attract capital, to uh, improve the the quality of life for people there. And so you definitely, you know, see that uh, you know from the perspective of, of talking to the individuals. And it's very very difficult to do that from afar. You literally cannot sit in an office somewhere else around the world and make judgments about this. You have to be on the ground. Um, but I'd say that PE has the opportunity to bridge that perception gap. And in, in many emerging markets in particular, a lot of PE value, uh, primary value, is around some of the intangible, things like professionalization and adding good governance, you know, bringing in top management teams to work with entrepreneurs and families. And because of that, uh, a company which has spent the last several years being owned by PE, for example, is a lot more interesting to global strategic buyers a lot more approachable than companies that haven't been owned by PE. So I think the opportunity for PE here is to take advantage where the perceived risk is higher than the actual risk. And I think that's the uh, beauty of uh, being on the ground and being connected uh, locally and being able to, you know, touch and see uh, the opportunities firsthand. And you really, you can't do that unless you're physically there. So I think the folks that, uh, you know, it's, it is an interesting fact that comes from the study, but I think you know it's pretty common sense at the end of it. Uh, something that seems a little scary, if you have the opportunity to go try it and uh, look at it and touch it and feel it for yourself, uh, oftentimes it becomes less so. Uh, I wanted to get back to that fundraising idea. So fundraising for investments in Africa has significantly increased for two straight years, according to EY's recently released report uh, called Private Equity Roundup. In Africa, so in April, for example, uh, Abraja's Africa Fund closed with nearly one billion in commitments. I think you were referring to this, Steve. There have been several others like that, as you referred to, Steve. And and these levels, 
of funding are big and new. And Steve, maybe we'll start with you since you started down that road that they, uh, they do suggest something is changing. You can look at this uh, in a variety of different ways. Uh, the good news or the, the facts that have uh, aided funds in raising new capital, be it large or small amounts, is there is now an assembling track record in Africa. And uh, the Abraj Group, I think, is a very good example, and I, and I would uh, disclose that I am on the advisory board of Abraj's Africa Health Fund. Uh, and I've seen how they operate, and I've seen how they operate, have operated the fund that they already had in place. Very sophisticated group. They've learned a lot. They have an excellent story to tell, uh, as do the other players uh, in, in Africa. But what's happened is they now have a much stronger, more developed, more detailed, and more persuasive story to tell the world of limited partners, that is to say the funds, the pension funds and others that would invest in these private equity funds. So there's a, there's a foundation that exists now that really didn't exist seven or eight years ago in the first go-around of, of uh, fund formation. Uh, so that, that adds a dimension to the story that we frequently overlook and that is in a manner of speaking, the people who are out there promoting these funds are smarter they, um, and, and that has an, uh, an impact. Uh, the, um, you know, and at the same time, the macroeconomic conditions are, are improving for all the reasons that Mike described. Uh, and Mike, in your view of this uh, sort of, sort of bump, significant bump up in, in fundraising levels? Yeah, I think clearly this speaks to the degree to which investors see significant long-term potential in the region. And I think Africa is very high on investors' radar right now. And that's a function, as Steve touched on, of the LPs getting more comfortable with emerging markets investments in, in general, I think, but getting more comfortable with Africa. And, you know, continuing to move out the risk curve, you, if you will, in terms of the types of vehicles they're funding. It's, uh, I think it's also a function of the maturation of the industry itself in Af- Africa is, uh, you know, the LPs now have a number of experienced and proven teams from which to choose when they look at the region. And I think Steve touched on a, certainly a barrage, Helios, Ethos, uh, as well as I've had the opportunity to meet with some folks from uh, you know, Musa Capital, which is a, a smaller uh, local fund that uh, I think has sold on to some of those bigger funds that, that I mentioned. So not only has the opportunity bloomed over the last, you know, call it decade, but the investability in our mind, of the region has increased as well. So it's that, you know, beginning to build a track record, that's what uh, tends to, uh, you know, draw and stabilize your LP base, and we're starting to see that there. One other thing I'm wondering about, uh, have investment themes in Africa changed in the short term over the last, say, couple of years? In other words, what are the interesting sectors or industries going forward? I'm not sure I, I would use the term change, although we can talk about w- what some of the uh, n- newer targets look like, uh, as intensified. And by that I mean the, the underlying themes of consumer-driven economies, um, uh, financial institutions, telecommunications, uh, th- these have been present uh, for you know, several years. 
but it's only within the last two years that uh, we seem to have hit in many of the countries. This is this is not true in all of them, but we've hit a tipping point, uh, and that's what I mean by intensify. Uh, uh, more entrepreneurial activity, more of the companies that were um, ideas that got started three or four years ago are now investable from a private equity point of view. So the deal flow opportunities uh, are, are certainly certainly there. Uh, the anecdotally, there's a growing interest in education ventures and uh, healthcare ventures. These I don't think have statistically risen to uh, f- to the spotlight, uh, but they will uh, because these are these are things that the uh, populations are demanding uh, in no uncertain terms. Okay, Mike, and your view of that? Yeah, I might step back because I think Steve did a nice overview of what was what we see in, in the themes anywhere. But we're seeing a broadening of the opportunity set, as Steve touched on. I mean, uh, I think we see the firms still active in commodities and natural resources, but they've also become a lot more active in spaces like financial services, healthcare, and technology, and consumer goods. And you know, Steve touched on almost an extrapolation from there in terms of you know, the opportunities that, that definitely uh, we'll see in the future. Um, you know, and I think that that's uh, in contrast, if you will, just a few years ago where we saw much heavier representation in sectors like construction, natural resources, and industrial. So we're definitely seeing a migration. And it's interesting. Some of the research we've done around emerging markets has shown a couple uh, maybe simplistic facts. But the first thing we figured out when uh, that, that when the GDP improved and there was a rising middle class uh, in many of these emerging markets, the first thing that improved was people eat better. And uh, secondly, the, the thing that they do is they tend to buy mobile devices and phones. Uh, and so if you think about that, uh, the rising you know, consumer goods market, uh, not only for you know, uh, food, beverages, uh, the traditional consumer uh, branded businesses, uh, that bodes well for folks moving into that space and interested in tapping into a huge market for those types of products. Uh, and also, you know, the telecom. Steve touched on that as well. Uh, the uh, I think it, I find it really interesting on the on the, you know how the financial and telecom sort of blends together because if you think about what they've been able to do since the banking industry was not very well established in Africa and many of the countries. Uh, they, they, in some ways, have you know skipped a, uh, a a generation, if you will, of uh, bricks and mortar banks, and so you have a uh, rising usage of the phone, of smartphones, and at the same time, uh, more access to capital markets products and, and banking products, and and so you've seen this uh, jump, if you will, to uh, mobile banking. Uh, and in, in fact, there's uh, been a number of very, very successful entities on the continent that have moved directly into that business. So you see, in some ways, where they, they actually are able to adapt and move forward much quicker than in other countries around the world because uh, they didn't go through the phase of uh, you know, setting up all the brick-and-mortar banks, if you will, around the world. So there's some very exciting you know, opportunities uh, I, I think in, uh, in in some of those traditional businesses, maybe less so on the uh, on the mining minerals and uh, you know traditional infrastructure side. And I think the exciting uh, places in the future are going to be in the consumer space, 
along with uh, the migration uh, in financials and uh, technology. Michael, I think you've hit the nail absolutely on the head. Um, uh, what you've described is what many classify as leapfrogging. And uh, many of these African economies have, have done just that and they're aware that they're doing that and they're looking for uh, new ways to accelerate growth and not go through the capital intensive phases that uh, other industrialized societies have gone through. Uh, and your example of mobile banking uh, couldn't be more profound because what I've, what I've seen uh, and this this largely originated in Kenya through uh, M-Pesa, which is the mo mobile banking arm of Safaricom, which is one of the largest uh, cell phone carriers in East Africa. And it's it's proven to be a platform for more than just managing your cash uh, and having electronic wallets. Uh, it's it's a, it's it's working so well that a variety of other products. Uh, uh, that are very complex to administer, such as insurance products, uh, are now being sold or being positioned to be sold and promoted and, and administered uh, through mobile blank banking pro uh, pro uh, platforms. Um, education, e-health, m-health uh, are all taking advantage of these things. Um, uh, and in the West, in the U.S. in particular, uh, we're actually lagging behind um, uh, in many of these applications. It's a very interesting phenomenon. And um, many of these opportunities are inviting private equity uh, investment in pretty substantial ways. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.